Good morning, church family. Bring you greetings from Bethel Chapel Church in Juniata Park. The fellowship between our churches uh, stretches back decades. And so it is a joy to be here with you and worshiping with the saints here this morning. Um, I appreciate your faithfulness. And I even just, it's just a joy to be here worshiping with you this morning. It's a reminder that God is working all around this city, all around the world, and uh, you don't, we don't get to see it, right? Uh, we get to gather with our local bodies, and uh, we don't get to see all of what God's doing all around the world. I was just, that thought came to me as I was driving over here this morning, and it was, it was odd to me to be driving anywhere on a Sunday morning. You know, normally as a pastor, I'm just I'm inside our building. And so it just reminded me of driving here and coming into this building to see you saints worshiping the Lord passionately. Um, it's, a, it's an encouragement and it's a blessing. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to, our sermon this morning, our text this morning is verses 26 to 39. And I'll read it, and then I'll open us in a word of prayer. Luke chapter 8. I think I said 36. I should have said 26. Luke chapter 8. We'll start in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met Him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he answered and said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to be let to to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are confronted with this text this morning, 
We want to be confronted with the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you work in our hearts now through the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word to open up our eyes to your son, Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, and how he changes us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. You probably remember last year on the news that the Queen of England, after reigning for over 70 years, passed away. And so everybody was sharing stories about her, interesting things that happened in her life, different encounters that people had with her. I heard one pe- person tell this particular story, and it has always kind of stuck with me. In 2016, the Queen of England was going to open Parliament. And it's the most formal uh, activity or most formal event that she has during the year. She dresses up in her full regal attire, the big, huge dress, the crown, the scepter, um, the, the decorated guard that goes with her with the, the spears, follows her, and she has this procession where she marches into their parliament to open up the, the year of, uh, the open up their parliament year. And in 2016, the queen was getting up there in years, so she couldn't walk up the steps that she normally did. So it was necessary then the planning and the preparation for it that she needed to step onto an elevator to go up one story in parliament to then be, you know, go down in this regal procession. Well, it was the first time they had ever done this and someone made the simple mistake of pressing the wrong button as they got on the elevator. So the doors opened not to the waiting parliament, but instead to a maintenance floor where a woman by the name of Alice, a janitor with her mop and bucket, pushed her way onto the elevator like she does every day. The doors closed. She looked up from her mop and bucket and suddenly realized that she was in the presence of the Queen of England. There was a horrified silence in the elevator as no one knew what to say or do. And suddenly the queen just broke out into laughter and it broke the ice of the moment and she invited Alice to join her in the procession down into parliament. And after that, the story goes that she invited this janitor, Alice, to the uh, palace every year to commemorate this day and they had tea together. This woman was having a normal day and suddenly she was in the presence of royalty and her life was never the same. And in our text this morning here in Luke 8, we have three different groups of people that come into the presence of royalty. The first group of people that come into, or the first group of beings, I guess you should say, that come into the presence of royalty are demons. And we see that for the demons, being sent into the presence of Jesus sends them into a panic. There's no safety in numbers for these demons. A legion was the word that the Romans used for a group of soldiers that was five to 6,000 strong. 
We know that Jesus, when he sends these demons into the pigs, it's, they say it's over 2,000 pigs. So the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how many demons are inside of this one poor man, but let's just say that it was thousands. It's, you would think that this may be some kind of a significant obstacle for Jesus, that there might be some type of battle here. But in truth, these demons cannot stand in the presence of Jesus. Even though there's so many of them, it makes no difference. In fact, you find out that demons have very limited knowledge. In addition to their limited power, they have very limited knowledge here. They, they say to Jesus, what business do we have to do with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. So apparently the demons, as far as they know, as they're suddenly in the presence of Jesus, they think that they are about to be sent into final judgment. Um, in Matthew, when this story is told, the, the way he phrases it is they say, have you come here to torture us before the time? In a couple of verses later, it, Luke is kind of funny in the way that he does the timing of this story because he unfolds it for us a little differently. But it, it, he tells us in a couple of verses, uh, in verse 31, they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. The abyss there is the same word that's used in Revelation 20 when Satan and all his demons are thrown into the lake of fire for judgment. So the demons, even though with all of their pooled knowledge, are terrified that Jesus is actually there to send them into final judgment. And they have no power to stop him. They're just begging, hoping that somehow he won't. All these demons can do is just fall down at Jesus' feet and ask for permission on where to go next. They have to actually even ask Jesus' permission to go into the pigs. It's not like they decided to do that on their own or apparently their own. They had to ask Jesus for permission to go from the man into the pigs. So just being in the presence of Jesus terrifies these demons. One thing that should terrify you and I a little bit as we look at this account is that these demons have pretty good theology. They believe a lot of the right things. They had instantly identified Jesus for who he actually is. The people in Jesus' day were like, well, we don't really know who this is. These demons know exactly who he is. They call him Jesus, son of the most high God. Then they, they know that final judgment's coming. There's no doubt in their mind. They don't try to dispute with Jesus about the existence of the abyss. They know it's coming. They just don't know when it's coming. So two things that today people will argue with about will argue with you about who Jesus is and whether or not hell is real. These demons don't ask that. These demons don't have that as a question in their mind. Remember that James says, "You believe that God is one." And he says kind of sarcastically, "You do well." The demons also believe and they shudder. And here is an actual example of that. The demons are actually trembling at the feet of Jesus. They know all of the right things, but of course demons have no opportunity to repent and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ like we can. So, But it's a reminder, and the reason why I say it should terrify us is you can know a lot of the right things. You can know a lot of the right information and not be trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've never repented of your sin, actually turned away from it, and trusted in the fact that Jesus can pay for it, 
then you are, are not a, a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. So it's, a, it's an important, this text is an important reminder because we here in this text are seeing demons and we find out that they believe all the right things that we would often think of. But in fact, information is not enough to save you. You have to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. But despite what all of these demons knew, all they want to do is get away from Jesus. They don't challenge Him. There's no confrontation. There's no battle. They just come into the presence of Jesus, and all they want to do is get away. They're just worried that their final judgment might already be starting. We can kind of understand why demons would be terrified in the presence of Jesus. But now there's a second group of people that come into the presence of Jesus, and shockingly, their response is not much different. You know the story. I just read it. Jesus gives permission to these demons to run into the pigs. We don't know exactly why or what happens or why they wanted to go into the pigs. People have all sorts of speculation. All we know is they went into the pigs, and as soon as they got in the pigs, the pigs ran over the cliff and they died. To be honest with you, it's kind of weird. I don't know why it happened. It's just, this is just what happened. But that part isn't, sometimes you, know, you hear these stories in Sunday school and stuff, you get a little distracted like, why were the pigs there? Why'd they go over the cliff? I, that's not really the point of this story. But what's really fascinating and what really should puzzle us is that when the people find out about this from the surrounding village, their response is actually the same as the demons. They want Jesus to leave. The people went out to see what had happened. Verse 35, they came to Jesus. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And listen to these next words. If you're following along in your Bible, you'll see it. And they became frightened. They got worried, freaked out, scared over the fact that Jesus had healed this man. He had made him whole. He had sent all the demons out of him. They recognized this guy. There's no question. They all knew who he was. They see this guy basically enclosed for the first time. They see him sitting still for the first time. He's at the feet of Jesus. And their reaction is, get out of here, Jesus. What are you doing here? And again, people try to say, well, probably what happened was they were mad about the pigs. But if you look at the text, that's not what it says. The text doesn't say they were mad about the pigs. People just speculate, oh, they must have been mad that all, you know, they lost the business or whatever else. But it says, and they were frightened. And then if you skip down to verse 36 and 37, those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. Not they heard it reported that the pigs were gone. They reported that the man who had been demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them. For they were gripped with the great fear. And he got in the boat and returned. Jesus listens to them. He's leaving. The people get on the scene. There's kind of this word that, you know, kind of spreads. Something weird has happened. Something crazy has happened. This guy's been healed. These pigs have gone all over the cliff. The people show up. They find out what happened. They see this man sitting clothed. And do they say, Jesus, what did you do? Who is this Jesus who's done this? 
No. They say, Jesus, we don't want you here. Get out. This reaction actually reminds me a little bit of the, the story. Remember when Peter was in the boat and Jesus tells them you know, to put the net down on the other side and they, they pull in all these fish? What happened to Peter? Peter was filled with almost like a holy terror, right? Jesus falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. What happened to Peter? Peter suddenly realized that he was in the presence of power that he could not control. What happened to these townspeople and why were they so terrified of Jesus and wanted him to leave? They suddenly realized they were in the presence of a power that they could not control. I find it fascinating that in one sense, it seems like these townspeople were willing to tolerate the man that could not be controlled. The man who was screaming, he was probably, one of the other gospels says that he was cutting himself. They tried to contain him. They had guards on him. They tried to restrain him. It didn't work. But in one sense, that was okay. They hadn't sent that guy away. Somehow they were willing to tolerate that, but coming into the presence of someone who could turn their life upside down, they wanted him to go away. I think it's still interesting today that many people will tolerate a lot of things in their life, and, and, and people will tolerate a lot of demonic things in their life. People will pay money to go watch a three-hour movie about something demonic. And that's kind of okay. That's kind of interesting, spooky. Yeah, that's interesting and fascinating to talk about. But if you want to talk about coming into the presence of Christ, right? If there's, if there's a prayer meeting at the church, right? If there's a worship service like we were having here this morning and somebody gets up and says, we're going to worship Jesus Christ for an hour, who's drawn to that? Who wants to come to that? The townspeople are confronted with the presence of Jesus. They see the power of Jesus and they make the decision they don't want it. They want Jesus to get out of there. People today are still just as afraid and uncomfortable with the presence of Jesus. It's one of the reasons why if you get serious about following Jesus, that's when you start to notice persecution, right? Many of you have experienced this. You can say that you know Jesus. You can say you're going to church. People are like, oh, that's great. That's good for you. When you get serious about following Jesus and the power of Jesus starts to change your life, the other people in your life start to get uncomfortable. Your, your family is suddenly going to, what are you doing? What, why, how come you're not coming to this with us? How come you, you said I shouldn't be saying this? All of a sudden, they see a change in your life. They see the power of Christ changing you. And people are going to be like, whoa, whoa, what's going on with you? Get, we don't really want you around anymore. Whether it's family, work, in the neighborhood. The presence of Jesus makes people uncomfortable. They're coming into the presence of a power they cannot control. 
The guy with demons, they kind of thought they could control, although they weren't really able to. They, it was a power that was stronger than them. But they were kind of okay with tolerating that. But when the presence of the one who could actually change them permanently, who could make them whole, was there, that's when people said, wait, no, Jesus, get out of here. Why did this crowd turn on Jesus just because he healed this man and made him whole? It's because the presence of Jesus forces you to make a decision. You either sit at his feet or you ask him to go away. The truth is there's no in-between. We would like to think that there's an in-between. Some people think that church is kind of an in-between. Like, yeah, Jesus is kind of up there and I'm kind of sitting here. But that's not true. There is no in-between. Isn't it interesting that the demons and this crowd of people share some similarities? They both want Jesus to go away. And in truth, they both share the same fate. Unless some of the members of this crowd later on in their life turn to Christ, then those demons and this crowd are actually going to be in hell together because they rejected Jesus. They spent all of their existence saying, I don't want Jesus. I don't want his presence. And hell is actually the place where Jesus gives them what they want. Jesus, Jesus forces you to make a decision. For the demons, the presence of Jesus was a terror. For the crowd, the presence of Jesus was fearful. But then there's this one guy. There's this one person in this story that's the good ground that the seed falls on. There's this man that in one instant, the presence of Jesus makes him whole. He's whole. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us this story, but Luke is actually the one that goes into the most detail of the absolute brokenness of this man's life before he meets Jesus. Luke 8.27, when he had come out onto the land, Jesus is met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, who had not put on any clothing for a long time, and was not living in a house but in the tombs. This man was isolated. He had no clothes on. Besides Clothes just being basic modesty. Clothes is part of how you fit in in society. It's why you dress a little differently depending on where you're going. If you're going to church or you're just running an errand or if you're running out to the store or if you're going to a party, you dress a little bit different based on what the social situation is. So clothes is kind of part of how you fit in in society and this guy had no clothes. He didn't fit in anywhere. He had no home. He had no place to go to at the end of the night. So he was living in tombs. This man must have either just been so far gone that he didn't even feel the shame or he had so much shame that it isolated him even more. Go down to verse 29. When Jesus has commanded the Spirit to come out of there, Luke gives us a little bit more detail. It says this demon had seized him many times He was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So part of this demon possession 
was isolating him from all the people around him, and in fact, even keeping him from any restraints that people could put on him. All of the modern efforts to help him and heal him had failed. We find out from Matthew that this man was hurting himself and was crying out in pain. So you would look at somebody like this and think, there is no hope for somebody like this. There is absolutely nothing that could happen that could change this man's life. He's too far gone. It's just, it's just too ugly of a situation. But what happens to him? Jesus saves him. He comes into the presence of Jesus and he is never the same. These people come flooding out of the town hearing that something had happened and they came to Jesus and they found this man from whom the demons had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. So here, after he meets Jesus, he's clothed, he's still. If you look in this passage in just a couple of verses earlier, Jesus has calmed a storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And here we find out that Jesus doesn't just calm storms, Jesus also calms people. This man is still and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And in the very next verse, Jesus tells him, go home. Suddenly, this man has a place to go that he never had before. What happened to him? He met Jesus. He met Jesus. You might have some cool story about some famous celebrity that you met one time or you saw in the airport, right? That janitor had a cool story about how she met Jesus or how she met the queen, right? But if you have met Jesus, that's the best thing of all. That changes your life forever. You're never going to be the same. The first thing that people noticed about this man is that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. The presence of Jesus terrified those demons. The crowd is telling Jesus to get away. And the juxtaposition here is fascinating because on the other side is somebody who just wants more of Jesus. People who are made whole by the presence of Jesus. So I just want to ask you here this morning, congregation, have you ever met Jesus like that? Not just that you know something about Jesus, but you've come into the presence of someone that has power and they've made you whole. Do you know that hymn? Hallelujah, I have found Him. Whom my soul so long has craved, Jesus satisfies my longings. By His blood, I now am saved. That's what I'm saying. Have you ever met Jesus like that? where you come into the presence of the all-powerful one and you know he made you whole. For this man, he comes into the presence of Jesus and everything wrong is made right. Luke 8, 36, it says, those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. The word there translated made well is the word for saved or delivered. Now I'm guessing, I don't know everybody here for sure this morning, 
I'm guessing there's not very many, or there's probably no one here, who when you met Jesus, he cast out thousands of demons out of you as a part of you coming to him. But if you are here this morning and you're saved, Jesus, when you met him, forgave you of thousands of sins. It's interesting, isn't it? Sin and Satan are both cruel bosses. Being controlled by thousands of demons and being controlled by thousands of sins looks pretty much the same. And for most of us, I don't think that Satan ever had to send any demons our way because the sins were doing a great job just on their own before we met him. Right? What does sin do? What was your life like before you met Jesus? Sin brings shame. Sin isolates you. Sin drives you away from everybody around you. Sin, it drives you into the wilderness and it destroys your community. Sin leaves you feeling helpless. You've tried a thousand times to stop that sin and it still beats you every time. So how do you get free from a legion of sins? The same way you get set free from a legion of demons. The presence of Jesus. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Are you whole because you met Jesus? Is there a completeness in your life because you know He has set you free from every sin? That's the change. It is a change in your understanding. But it's a wholeness that you find in Jesus that you realize you can't find it anywhere else. I just want to show you here as we close in this text what it looks like when you meet Jesus because the story doesn't stop here. There's two results of wholeness that are really crystal clear that Luke lays out for us here. Because here's the, after you notice, after the crowd sees, and Luke tells us that this man is sitting at the feet of Jesus, here's the very next thing that we find out about him in his new life. Luke 8.38. The man from whom the demons had gone out, by the way, just stop for a second, this guy gets a whole new name. Right? He gets a whole new identity. He used to be the guy with demons, now he's the guy who the demons have gone out of. But then it says he was begging him that he might accompany him. What's the very first sign that you have found your wholeness in Jesus? That you have come into the presence of the all-powerful one? You want to be with him more. This guy, his very first thing is, I want to be with Jesus. And here again, you see this whole contrast where the demons are telling Jesus to get, they want to get away from Jesus as far as they can. The crowd is telling Jesus to get away. But then here's this one man that's like, Jesus, please don't leave me. I want to be with him no matter what. If you've been rescued by Jesus, all you want to do is be with Jesus more. You don't sit at his feet and say, thank you, Jesus, and then get up and go on your way and go live your life. That's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means is you meet Him. He saves you. He washes you. He cleans you. He satisfies your longings. And then you want to keep being with Him. That's why I love that story 
about Alice the janitor, it's that it wasn't just that, she, oh yeah, she had a cool story that she met the queen one time. It's that she actually struck up a relationship with the queen. That's what makes that story so amazing. And what makes our salvation so amazing is that God doesn't just save us and wash us from our sins and just say, all right, go now, live the rest of your life. I hope it's good. Jesus wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants to know us. And if you have had that happen to you, you want to know him. You want to spend time with him. And there's a version of Christianity and religion out there that thinks that Jesus is just like, you meet him one time and then you kind of go back to living the rest of your life like it was. But that's not what the Bible tells us about what it means to be a Christian. In fact, that idea is closer to what the demons and the crowds people have of, yeah, Jesus, oh, we saw him once, get out of here. A believer is somebody who's seen Jesus and wants more of him. So the reason that you pray this week is you want to spend more time in the presence of Jesus. The reason you're going to open up your Bibles this week is that you want to spend more time in the presence of Jesus. The reason you're going to call another brother or sister this week and spend some time talking about what God's doing in their life is you want to spend more time in the presence of Jesus. The reason you're here this morning, hopefully, is that you want to spend more time in the presence of Jesus. That's what has changed about us. Your soul is right with its maker. You've met him. So spending time with him takes on the biggest priority. And you find your wholeness in spending time in the presence of Jesus. The other result of wholeness that we see here is obedience. You know, this story, it really doesn't end like you think it's going to. Because the, here's the last two verses of it, in verse 38 and verse 39. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he, that's Jesus, sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus has done for him. So there's basically three characters in this, in this story. There's demons, there's the townspeople, and then there's the guy who meets Jesus and wants to spend time with them. And if you had to pick one person in this story who if they asked Jesus for something, they would get their request granted, who would you think it's going to be? You would assume it's the guy who has been healed, who's been whole, who wants to be Jesus' disciple. But in fact, in this account, the one person that doesn't get their request answered is, is the man who's healed. The demons ask to be sent into the pigs, and Jesus says, yeah. The townspeople say, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you here. And Jesus says, fine, I'm leaving. And then this guy says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no. I, if you are being honest when you're reading through that, you have to really feel for this guy, right? And also, we kind of are tempted, like we often are, to kind of question Jesus and think, are you sure you don't want this guy as one of your disciples that follows around with you? I mean, it seems like he would have done a better job than Judas, right? Like if you were doing top 12 disciples, surely this guy can break into the top 12, but, but Jesus has different plans for him. And it's surprising to us because we think, let this guy go. I mean, let this guy get up and give his testimony at the beginning of Jesus' sermons. 
He sounds like he would be a great follower of Jesus, a great disciple of Jesus that can go with Jesus. But Jesus says no. So this man experiences what life with Jesus is like in just the first couple minutes of following Jesus, that sometimes Jesus doesn't give us the things that we want. Sometimes Jesus tells us to do things that are hard. We have feelings and we have expectations of how we think things should go in our life. And one of the real tests of whether or not we're a follower of Jesus or not is when something goes against what we want or what we feel, do we go with what we want or feel or do we go with what Jesus says? Because this guy could have easily said, wait a second, Jesus, you're telling me I can't come with? That makes no sense. I don't like this at all. Forget this whole thing of following you. And don't we all know people who kind of make it sound like following Jesus is good? They, they hear the ideas, the ideas sound good, but in truth, they really think that Jesus is going to help them get whatever they want. Jesus is going to be going to help them get where they're trying to go. And as soon as it works out that Jesus is going to tell them something they don't want to hear, then they say, well, forget this. One of the very uh, chief signs, the first signs that you are actually a follower of Jesus Christ is that you obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do you respond in your life when Jesus says no to you? Maybe he says no to a desire. Could be a sinful desire. Or it could be a desire that's totally fine. But Jesus just says, no, this isn't how it's going to go. This isn't what, this is, it's not what you expected. It's not what you wanted. But I have something better for you. That's what Jesus was telling this man. When Jesus makes you whole, you obey him. Jesus, when he tells us no, it's always because he has our best interest at heart. It's always because he has something better for us. And that's, it's no different here, right? We can only see the here and now. We can only see things that are right in front of us. But Jesus has eternity in mind. And here, Jesus is going to send this man out to tell more people about him. And that's the ultimate goal. It's the same goal that you and I have. Jesus has sent us out to tell people what Jesus has done for us. And there's things that we wish that would be easier, that would be more comfortable, that sometimes Jesus says no, so that we can go out and tell more people what he's done. One pastor preached on this text, and he called it the story where Jesus turns a maniac into a missionary. And the truth is, Jesus turns us all into missionaries. We're to go out and... And it's interesting, you know, this guy, we never know his name, um, never tells us the... It's just, it's just a guy, right? Just a person. Just a regular follower of Jesus. Because that's what we are. Just regular followers of Jesus going out to tell people what Jesus has done for us. Isn't that what Paul says later on? He says to depart and be with Christ is way better. Paul says, it was up to me. I'd be right at Jesus' feet right now if I could be. That's way better. But to stay on here for now, I get to serve Christ. I get to tell people about Jesus. There's a lot of different people. I'm sure we're all looking forward to meeting in heaven. But I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to meeting this guy. 
I'm assuming he's still using his name, the man from whom the demons were gone. His new name, right? That's got to be like on his name tag up in heaven. And you know, chances are there's going to be some other people that are there in heaven who they heard about Jesus from this man. That's our job. Somebody said our job isn't just to make it into heaven, but it's our job to take some people with us as we go, right? Tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Look, some, look for somebody this week who you can tell, listen, I just got to tell you about somebody, right? I got to tell you about somebody who changed my life. I came, into their, I came into the presence of Jesus and my life has never been the same. Let me tell you about him. That's, that's what we have been called to do. The presence of Jesus changes you. So my question for each one of you here this morning is, have you come into the presence of Jesus? Has there been a point in time in your life where you realized you were in the presence of someone who was more powerful than you, and you were in the presence of somebody who could heal you? That's what it means. And I I just want to stop here for a second and ask you if that's something that you have actually done. You might be a young person here that comes to church here regularly. You might be a longtime church member. You might be a first-time visitor. But whoever you are and, and wherever your background is, there has to be a moment in your life where you realize that Jesus and only Jesus can heal you. So you have to ask yourself, has that ever happened to me? And if it has, then there's going to be a wholeness inside of you. There's going to be a desire to be with Jesus. You want to spend time with Him. And there's going to be obedience in your life where you want to obey Him. If you have been changed by the presence of Jesus, then doesn't it just make sense that you want to spend more time with Him? Right? What could be better? So can I just encourage you this week to look forward to spending time with Him? I'll just our own, my own sinful heart, a lot of times we look at those times with Jesus that we have set aside for prayer and reading our Bible and getting closer to Him, and we're like, oh, i got to do that again. Better make sure I do that. But we're, we've forgotten that we are coming into the presence of Jesus. We're coming into the presence of the One who made us whole. So let's look forward to spending time with Him. And let's remember that He's given us a mission. You, you have a mission from Jesus this week. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. So look for chances to do that. It might be with family in your house. It might be in the neighborhood. It might be at your job. You don't know what it might be, but look for those chances and say, I just want to tell somebody about Jesus. Because the presence of Jesus, it changes you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to stop and ask you, if there's anyone here this morning who, who doesn't know you, who never actually has come into your presence and been rescued from their sin, that this morning you, in your 
good and gracious love would open their eyes to see that, to see their true condition before you, and to see your true power to make them whole. So Lord, I just ask that you would work in anyone's heart that's here like that this morning. And Lord, for um, each person that does know you, Lord, would you open up our eyes to want you more, to see that spending time with you and obeying you are not just minor parts of our lives, but, but serious passions that you have given to us. And so, Lord, give us a heart and a desire to spend more time with you at your feet. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.